This is Christian Questions. And if you do not tell the truth about yourself, you cannot tell it about other people. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Christian Questions, talk radio with a purpose with Jonathan and Rick. This isn't your typical Christian commentary. Love talking with our audience, and we promise to never talk at you like so many talk shows do today. It's a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective. And Rick, that perspective is based on godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, all in a politically free zone. Jonathan, the best part is this. We talk and you listen, and then you talk and we listen. You can also contact us at our website, ChristianQuestions.net. I'm Rick. And I'm Jonathan. And we're glad that you've chosen to spend some time with us on this fine Sunday morning. And Jonathan, what is our topic today? Well, Rick, our question is, can a Christian thrive in a world that rewards evil? And our theme text comes from Luke chapter 6, verse 45. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil, for his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. All right, and uh, Jonathan, oftentimes as we look around us, we can get uh, really discouraged, for we live in a world that embraces darkness and persecutes light. We are surrounded by political corruption, we're developed in a me-first environment, and we're shown that winning at all costs is acceptable instead of a turn-the-other-cheek mentality, and we're bombarded with a smack-him-before-he-smacks-you approach. It's like living as a lamb among lions, and we all know how that works out. (laughs) (laughs) So, can we as Christians thrive, not just, just survive, but thrive in a world like this? Folks, stay with us as we go through this particular uh, set of questions. And, and Jonathan, there's a very specific reason we're, we're asking these questions this morning. Yes, there is, Rick. And, and by the way, uh, you're not in the studio. Where are you, anyway? Oh, we actually, good, good point. Uh, I'm sitting in a conference room at, uh, at a hotel in Mawa, New Jersey, at a uh, Bible conference for today. Uh, so we're calling in from the, uh, the uh, uh, Double Tree Inn, I, I guess it's called, here in Mawa, New Jersey. And they were kind enough to give us a conference room and a phone to use. So that's the setup. Fantastic. So the, the, the bottom line, Jonathan, is our context for this conversation and for these particular questions was a letter that we got uh, through Facebook from a young man who's about 30 years old, uh, who lives in a Middle Eastern country. Um, he wanted to remain anonymous, so we're not going to tell you what country he's from. Uh, the only hint I'll give you is it's not Israel. Uh, and we're going to name him Timothy for our conversation this morning. Okay. And... Uh, he wrote us a very long letter about the struggles that he has as a Christian living in this particular Middle Eastern country. So we took the letter, and we're trying to sort of formulate an answer to that letter throughout this two-hour program. And as we go through the program, we're going to read some very short excerpts from his letter, again, keeping his identity uh, um, a secret, if you will, because that's what he asked us to do. So his name, for our purposes, is Timothy from the Middle East. Very good. So, Jonathan, let's start with the firm uh, for the first uh, excerpt from his letter. I'm a firm believer in good ethics. I don't like to lie or cheat, especially when it comes to my job. Alas, and forgive me for saying this, but almost 99% of my country's people strongly believe that you need to do so at work to survive, which is what almost everyone is doing. 
So he's saying that he lives in a place, and it does sound pretty common. <laughs> yes, it does, 99%. <laughs> uh, you know, but the percentage is, is and he says about 99% of people lie and cheat at work to get ahead because that's the only way to do it. And obviously he doesn't want to or, or uh, fit in to that kind of environment. Yes. So um, as we get started to illustrate uh this point of the world in which we live and living by a higher and a different standard to be able to thrive. The question is, can a Christian actually thrive in this environment? Um, and the, the thing is this, we all want to win at life. Uh, we all want what each of us perceive to be success. So we're going to look at two diametrically opposed paths that both led to success, or did they? Um, we're not going to introduce our first soundbite. We're just going to play it for you. You're going to recognize who it's about, and we're going to be highlighting this individual along with another individual as a comparison for a pathway to thriving in the world around us. Let's listen to this first soundbite. It was hard to believe Lance Armstrong had been forced out of cycling for two years with cancer when he returned so mightily to the tour in 1999. That year, he took the first Alpine stage to Sestriere and all three time trials to become, ten years after Greg LeMond, only the second American to win the Tour. The following year, the recipe for success was the same. He attacked in the hills and joined Marco Pantani out in front on his own. Pantani took the line, but Armstrong sealed his second consecutive Tour victory. So, Jonathan, obviously that's about uh, Lance Armstrong. Yes, it is. And we all know some of the story of Lance Armstrong. We know the first part of the story where he was a very uh, prolific cyclist. Yes. Um, came down with uh, cancer, uh, fought the cancer off and came back from cancer, and then won seven Tour de France races consecutively, which is something nobody had ever, ever done. Right, and uh, most people looked at him as the, one of the greatest athletes that ever lived. Yeah, uh, myself included. Mm -hmm. And uh, we all also know the end of the story where he uh, basically, after the fact, just this past year, admitted that, well, he was doing illegal uh, steroids and drugs and all kinds of things in order to win. Yep. Okay, so we're going to get into that, but we're going to look at his his victories and the and, and and the road up, if you will, first. Mm -hmm. uh, and and you know, obviously, the man was a great competitor, uh, and obviously, was incredibly talented. You don't take that away from him. We'll right. get into the rest of the story uh, as we develop. But folks, for now, our question is: Can a Christian really thrive in a world that rewards evil? And we're looking at this individual, Lance Armstrong, as an example. If you have a thought, it's eight six six nine eight five four two five five toll free. Eight six six nine eight five four all. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And we want to hear what you have to say about today's topic. Post your comments on our Facebook page and our blog. Go to ChristianQuestions.com. Okay, so what is winning, quote-unquote, for a Christian? And in the first hour, Jonathan, what we're going to do is focus on our own head and our own heart in terms of, well, what is winning. We actually have nine basic principles we're going to start out the program with. Uh, and let's start that by looking at Mark chapter 10. Uh, verses 17 to 23. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. 
And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. Okay, and, and, and as we, we pause there in, in the account, we're all familiar with the account and how this man was obviously very diligent in his life and very uh, um, firm at following the law as best as he could. And, so, and that gives us our first basic principle in dealing with thriving in the world uh, in which we live as, as a Christian. So what would that first basic principle be? It's live in line with the laws of God. All right, and it's a really simple thing. And Jesus says, okay, here's the path to eternal life, follow the law. And the young man's response is, but I do that, I do that. And I, and I can imagine that sort of the enthusiasm that this young man has. He's probably, and this is my own imagination, but he's probably energetic and just almost jumping out of his skin with, he finally has a chance to talk to Jesus, and he asks him a very pointed question, and he really is trying to do the right thing. And I look at uh, this first basic principle is be obedient to God. Yes. And he's like, well, I've, d- I've done that. I've done that. I'm doing my best. Right, right. He, so he, he's on top of it. So now, yes. what's Jesus' reaction to that? Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell all possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. But at these words, he was saddened and he went away grieving. For he was one who owned much property. And Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus gives him, after he sees the enthusiasm, it says, first of all, the thing that jumps out at you says that uh, Jesus loved him. He, he saw him and he, he appreciated his enthusiasm and his zeal, but he also saw a weakness in him. Mm-hmm. And what was that weakness? It, it was for things. It was his wealth that, that was his weakness. And he had a lot of wealth. Yes. And so Jesus said, okay, if you really want to find eternal life, sell all of that and come and follow me. So he must have had a love for, for his properties and things and a pride that was hard to uh, work out. Yes. And, and, so that, and that brings us to the second basic principle of being a Christian and thriving in the world in which we live. And what's that second basic principle? Rick, it's live in line with the spirit of selflessness spurred on by the laws of God. All right, so not only do we have to live in line with the laws of God, but we have to live in line with the selflessness that would be spurred on by living in line with the laws of God. So the laws of God are good, but they are a stepping stone to the selflessness, which is better. That's right, and we remember the the word love um, the agape love, the highest level of love, is giving without receiving in return. It's being selfless, isn't it? Yes. So our friend, for our friend Timothy in the Middle East, in the Middle Eastern country who is struggling, these principles are sort of the place to start in terms of saying, okay, how do I thrive in the world uh, that, that I live in? And again, folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255, toll-free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Jonathan, let's go to another soundbite from another individual, uh, and I'm going to tell you who this is uh, before we get started. This is a John Wooden, uh, the former coach, UCLA basketball coach. Uh, he coached at UCLA for many, many years. At one point... They won 10 national championships in a span of 12 years. Wow. And, yeah, and it, uh, it's unbelievable. What he accomplished as a coach is just unbelievable. He was giving a, one of those TED Talks that we often refer to. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, so we're going to listen to him define success and character and so forth. Just keep in mind that when he's giving this talk, he's 90 years old. Wow. Okay, so <laughs> let's listen to this soundbite. John Wooden. Then I ran across this simple verse that said, At God's footstool to confess, a poor soul knelt and bowed his head. I failed, he cried. The master said, Now didst thy best. That is success. From those things and one other, perhaps, I coined my own definition of success, which is peace of mind attained only through self-satisfaction in knowing you made the effort to do the best of which you're capable. I believe that's true. If you make the effort to do the best of which you're capable, trying to improve the situation that exists for you, I think that's success, and I don't think others can judge that. I think it's like character and reputation. Your reputation is what you're perceived to be. Your character is what you really are, and I think the character is uh, much more important than what you are perceived to be. You'd hope they'd both be good, but uh, they don't necessarily be the same. And he was hard to get sound bites from because, man, he just keeps on going. <laughs> it's hard to stop him in the middle. So how can this help Timothy with his struggle? Well, there's a couple of things. First of all, he talks about peace of mind, his definition of success. Peace of mind attained only through self-satisfaction and knowing you made the effort to do the best of which you are capable. Okay. He said so, and for him, and we're going to see as we develop this program, the difference of approach between Lance Armstrong, who was a liar and a cheat, essentially, and John Wooden, who never, I don't think, ever said a, a, a vain word in his entire life. Uh, two very different ends of the spectrum. And he talks about character and reputation. And he said, you know, your character is what you are. Your reputation is what people perceive you to be. He said, character is the most important thing. Okay. And so for our friend Timothy, what it boils down to is make sure your character is in line with those basic principles that we're beginning to talk about and make sure that you're ready to, uh, to do the things necessary to rise up to that higher standard. So personally, defining success is really a function of what you are driven toward. True eternal success is only driving towards those things of lasting value, significance, and impact. So now we are looking at this and saying, okay, we can succeed. Here's some basic principles. Now what? This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, can a Christian thrive in a world that rewards evil? Our friend Timothy lives in a place that has no morals or ethics and people backstab you to get ahead. What should he do? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning... Can a Christian thrive in a world that rewards evil? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And Jonathan, our program this morning is really built around a letter that we got from a young man in the Middle East. We are calling him Timothy. Uh, he's about 30 years old and struggling, uh, trying to uh, apply Christian principles in a country. We're not letting you know what country, but a Middle Eastern country uh, that doesn't, that just simply does not apply those uh, Christian principles and standards. And he's really, really struggling with this. And Rick, I like the the nine basic principles that you're laying out as a foundation to help him with his struggle. 
And, you know, the principles are meant to be short one-liners, the kind of thing that you can write down and just one at a time focus on for several days. So you can sort of develop that principle and say, okay, I get this one into my mind, now what's next? Because a lot of times when you focus on little pieces of the puzzle, you're going to be a lot stronger on the, on the whole if you're really focusing on the parts. Absolutely. And the first principle was live in line with the laws of God. And the second, live in line with the spirit of selflessness spurred, right. so, spurred on by the laws of God. Right. Um, sorry to interrupt you. No problem. Um, so, Jonathan, just read one, one quick line from his letter before we continue. My country is now well known for its lack of ethics and morals. You have to backstab to move ahead. And, that, and so his question is, you know, how do I get ahead or, you know, what do I do in, in, in an environment like this? And as we mentioned in the first segment, this, this first hour is really about our, our own head and our heart. So let me just give you a quick little equation before we go on to our next soundbite. My head plus my heart equals my choice. All right? My head plus my heart equals my choice. And the point of it is we, if we focus our head and our heart, we can then choose the way we approach our lives. I like it. All right. Now, having said that, folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255, toll-free, 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And I think this is be a great program to go to our website, ChristianQuestions.com, and check out CQ Rewind. And CQ Rewind will mail you or email you every week the program and all the text and all the scriptures and all of the graphics and illustrations that you can't see while we're talking. Right, and that helps to get it in your mind so you can thrive in a world that rewards uh, evil without participating in that part of it. So, all of that being said, let's go back to the sound bites from our first individual who we are um, uh, uh, focusing on. The following year, it was three times not so much lucky as heroic. Once again, Armstrong made his traditional breakaway on the climbs to take a mountain stage. With it, he took yellow and he held on until the line in Paris. In 2002, he became the unrivaled king of the Pyrenees with two successive victories on La Mangie and the Plateau de Baye. The icing on the cake that year was victory in the Macon time trial the day before Paris. A fourth stage victory to cap his fourth consecutive tour triumph. So you have the, the growing success of Lance Armstrong, and now this is four years in a row, which is pretty much unheard of, uh, being the victor in this incredibly grueling, long, and tedious and difficult race. It must have been frustrating to all the other riders. <laughs> yeah, you know, how do you, how do you beat this guy? Exactly. And, you know, in the third year, they said it was heroic the way he, he won the race. So, you, you know, you're building this, this aura of superiority and excellence. And you're saying, man, that is awesome. And, of course, you know, he opens up his Live Strong Foundation to fight cancer. And, he's, I mean, there's all of these things going. You're saying, this is a guy that everybody wants to be like. Mm-hmm. All right, now, we're going to put that on the shelf for a minute. Let's get back to our basic principles here. Romans 12, 14 to 21. Let's just read verse 14 for now. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. All right, so that brings us to our next basic principle. The third basic principle is what? Focus your energy on the spreading of goodness. So even if you are, Timothy, I'm talking to you now, even if you are in an environment where goodness isn't being spread, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to spread it anyway. Right, right. We are, that's what it says. Eve, bless those who persecute you. Bless them. 
and do not curse them. So don't look down upon them, but turn that other cheek and bless them. This is an important principle that helps us to get out of the environment, thinking environment, that the world is in. And that really gets our head and our heart in the right place. Right. And speaking of getting your head and heart in the right place, let's go back to now to a soundbite from John Wooden uh, in his TED Talk about 10 years ago. He gave this, uh, this talk when he was 90 years old. He was the... Uh, look, looked at as the, the, one of the, uh, the most successful basketball coach ever uh, for his uh, success at uh, UCLA. Let's listen to this. And one was just a little verse that said, uh, um, no, no written word, no spoken plea can teach our youth what they should be, nor all the books on all the shelves is what the teachers are themselves. That made an impression on me in, in, the, in the 1930s. And... and uh, I tried to use that uh, more or less in my teaching, whether it be in sports or whether it be in the English classroom. So he, he loves poetry, and he's always quoting poetry. And this was a great little line that basically says, the children aren't going to learn from the book, they're going to learn from your example. Right. It's the teacher uh, themselves that, that will be the lesson. And when you have someone who is of great success, that is, they are essentially in the role of a teacher. Mm-hmm. because people want to emulate what they do and how they act and all of that kind of thing. That, that reminds me of the saying, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one anytime. Right, right. And, and that's such a valuable premise to looking at life and to realizing that we can be that sermon to others who may not want to hear one. Mm-hmm. So that third principle was important. Let's go on to Romans twelve fifteen and the fourth principle and Romans twelve sixteen and the fifth principle. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So, the fourth basic principle for thriving in a world like we live in is what? Fear not entering into the lives of those around you. So, when it says rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, it's saying enter into other people's lives. Be sympathetic with. Right, right. So that you can you can be a part of their life if it's in the difficult parts of their life or the good parts of their life. Don't be afraid to enter into those. And that's an important principle based on the, the third principle was focus your energy on the spreading of goodness. Um, we, gotta, we're gonna, we're gonna, we can't discuss these, Jonathan. There's so much to talk about this morning in, in great, great detail. So we're really kind of going to list them out this morning. Okay. Um, let's go on to verse 16. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. And boy, this one really speaks volumes. And, and again, as we, we realize the story of Lance Armstrong, who, through all of his victories, was cheating like crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we see John Wooden, who there's no evidence that he cheated ever anywhere on anything. Um, th- this, really, this principle really rings true in terms of, uh, of what's the most important thing. What's this fifth basic principle? Keep your head inside your head and keep your ego beneath it. Well, that's kind of a funny way to say it, but don't let your, 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 your head swell. Don't let your ego get out of control so that you now are in a compromising position. Because when the ego gets out of control, we then begin to compromise things around it because we've got to feed that oversized ego. So humility is, is big. It is. Humility, and it's funny because humility means being small in, in your own <laughs> eyes. But humility is the big thing about being small. Good, good. And let's go back to another soundbite from Lance Armstrong and all of the victories. We're now, re- this is, I think this is the last one we're going to talk about 
in terms of victories before we talk about the fall. So let's listen to this. 2003 was perhaps his toughest year, creating a most exciting race. First, there was Armstrong's swerve through a field to avoid the unfortunate Jose Berbaloki. Then, on the climb to Luth Ardiden, the American's handlebars caught in a spectator's bag and he fell. But the king picked himself up, dusted himself down and launched a phenomenal attack at the last to take his fifth tour and join Angtil, Merckx, Eno and Injurain in the history books. So that fifth victory uh, tied him with others. And of course, we know he went on to win two more uh, consecutive victories, which was, again, completely unheard of. And he was called uh, the king. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, there's a great similarity. Lance Armstrong won those seven consecutive Tour de France victories. John Wooden, as a coach, coached the UCLA Bruins to 10 NCAA championships in 12 years. Uh, and both of those feats are feats that you look at and say, well, that'll never be repeated. Mm-hmm. Uh, one did it with honesty and integrity, and the other did it uh, lying and cheating. Uh, so, yep. so, again, that helps us to understand that we have a choice to make. It can happen through integrity and hard work, but it's who often happens through lying and cheating. Uh, let's go to Romans twelve seventeen. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. And this basic principle really deals with that, that contradiction. Uh, what, what's the sixth principle? Evil dies on arrival, and righteousness is always respected. So when we say evil dies on arrival, when evil is coming into our life, it should die on arrival. There should be nothing in us to nourish that evil approach to things. That's right. And righteousness is always respected. You know, respect what is right in the sight of all men, and that takes the lying and the cheating aspect completely out. Yes. So it's such an important principle uh, to put in place. Uh, We've got to keep moving here, Jonathan, to get on to the seventh principle. Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255, toll-free, 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And stay connected to Rick and I at ChristianQuestions.com, no matter the day or time. Let's get on to the next principle, uh, the next scripture in Romans. And that is... Um, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And this is a great principle because we can see people who maybe are doing things dishonestly and you want to get back at them. Right, right. And so for our friend Timothy over there in the Middle East, living in a country where corruption rules, uh, this is a very important principle. And what is it? It's God's judgment and God's time rights all wrongs God's way. Right. God's way, God's judgment, God's time, hands off. Yep. So, it's, it's hard. It's, it's hard to put the flesh down. Right. But if we want to thrive as a Christian in the world in which we live, and again, you know, we're talking about, well, what is success thriving? Does that mean you get to the top of the food chain in terms of the corporate world and all of that? Maybe not. But as a Christian, is that what our objective is supposed to be? You know, that, those are the kinds of questions we have to ask ourselves. Uh, we just got about two minutes left in this segment, Jonathan. We want to cover, at least touch on these next two principles. Verse 20. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, what the <laughs> That doesn't sound very nice. Burning coals on his head is a good thing, Rick. It uh, is. <laughs> when you are visiting someone's home, 
you're ready to head home late at night. They gave you embers to carry home so you could stoke your fire right away to have a warm home. So when you heap burning coals on, on their head, you were, you were extending hospitality. Absolutely. So th- what's this eighth basic principle then? Mercy and kindness have a home here, regardless of who is in need. So, and this is important, because for our friend Timothy, he's surrounded by those who see life differently. And the scripture specifically says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink, because you will show him hospitality and kindness. Mercy and kindness have a home in your own head and your own heart, regardless of those who are in need. And that's a tough one. It that's is. a very difficult one to, to, to apply sometimes. You're right. Because we, don't, we, we want our enemy to fall. And and the interesting thing is in the second hour, we're really going to get into, actually, next segment, we're going to begin to get into that. But before that, Jonathan, let's just touch on this ninth basic principle in Romans 12, 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. All right, so what's that ninth principle? Steal yourself towards the defeat of evil within your scope with that which is right. So you've got to steal yourself towards the defeat of evil the evil that's within your scope of influence, not the evil in the world, that is, that's not something that's our responsibility, thank goodness. Yes. But we are to be willing to stand up against it and to defeat evil through the example of doing good and being good and having integrity. That's the way that, that last principle works there, and that's a very important thing. We don't have time for the scripture, for the scripture but in 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9, it says to sum up, and it goes through all of these wonderful things that, that we should do. Um, for, that's First Peter 3, verses 8 through 12. We'll have that in the uh, Seeker Rewind full edition uh, program notes. So as we wrap up this segment, folks, we now have nine principles to work with, but there's so much more to come. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Can a Christian Thrive in a World that Rewards Evil? How do we as Christians hold on to our hope after being taken advantage of, having friends put us down? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Can a Christian Thrive in a World that Rewards Evil? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And Jonathan, uh, again, our program this morning is really focusing on a letter that we got from a young man in the Middle East. Uh, His name, we will call him Timothy, that's not his real name, Uh, and he is struggling, struggling in a a very corrupt environment uh, and asking us for help to to put things in focus so he does the right thing with the right kind of a Christian attitude. And he lives in a country where Christianity is not popular. No. And uh, let's read another another uh, little excerpt from his letter to us. And, and, you know, this, Jonathan, this touches my heart because you can kind of see and feel uh, the struggle that he's going through as he's expressing it to us here. Dear Rick and Jonathan, your show is a constant inspiration, and I listen to the stuff I download as I walk. Alas, I'm in constant confusion. I listen to the show, and I get a push of hope. But hours later, I'm back to dark thinking. 
I think of revenge of those who refuse to pay me for my services when they have millions and just don't pay because they just could do so. I think of suicide because I don't feel like I fit among my friends who think I'm stupid for not sleeping with women who want to or making a large margin of profit when I can. So you can tell, you, you, your heart goes out to, to somebody going through this kind of a struggle because you can tell that it's the very core of his life that he struggles with because yes. everywhere he looks, everywhere he turns, everything he sees is against the principles that he's trying to stand for. He's yes. like a salmon you know, swimming upstream, and it, and it looks like it's impossible. Right. And uh, to Timothy, and you know, I, I chose the, the nickname for him for Timothy as Timothy because uh, he's about 30 years old, and I have a son, and his name is Timothy. Yes. Uh, who's about the same age. Uh, and uh, the Apostle Paul, if you remember, had a, uh, a, a son in Christ, if you will, by the name of Timothy. Good point. So I thought that was a fitting name. It uh, is. And that's actually why I named my son Timothy, because the Apostle Paul. Uh, anyway, side point. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go on back to Mr. Lance Armstrong. He's won his seven Tour de France victories, and over the years following, evidence starts to mount that he'd lied and cheated. And through years and years, he denies it until he does this interview on Oprah where he finally comes clean. So let's listen to how this begins to unfold and the Lance Armstrong empire suddenly begins to crumble. Yes or no, did you ever take banned substances to enhance your cycling performance? Yes. Yes or no, was one of those banned substances EPO? Yes. Did you ever blood dope or use blood transfusions to enhance your cycling performance? Yes. Did you ever use any other banned substances like testosterone, uh, cortisone, or human growth hormone? Yes. Yes or no? In all seven of your Tour de France victories, did you ever take banned substances or blood dope? Yes. So, Jonathan, that, that's startling to me. It is. All seven, he cheated. Every single one. And so you have this man who had great physical qualities and great, great endurance and great, great discipline, and yet he needed in his own mind to cheat to win. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, and, and when you look at our friend Timothy in the Middle East, in, in, a, in a country that is not going to help him on his quest for righteousness and integrity, uh, you see that the cheater seems to always get ahead. Or does he? See, eventually, Jonathan, whether it be in this age or the next, all of that is going to come crumbling down. Yes, it is. And fortunately for Lance Armstrong, it's begun to crumble now. I say fortunately because he built such an empire based on, on cheating that uh, it, it takes an awful lot to undo it and you know, to, see, to see where you can get, get with that. But as we continue from a scriptural standpoint for our friend Timothy in the Middle East, who's struggling so, so greatly with these matters uh, in, in, a, in an environment that is not supportive of Christian principle, let's look at Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. Uh, and, and as we look at this, the thought to, to, to focus on is you have to find a fruitful focus for your life. Because remember, he said that his mind turns to dark thoughts, yes. revenge, and, and this scripture is sort of meant to say, okay, wait, wait, let's, let's control where we bring our mind. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us.
So this talks about a great cloud of witnesses. And what's that, what is that great cloud of witnesses? It's, the, it's the, the, those individuals mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. It's the ancients who went before and were a great blueprint of faith and action, and they stood up against very difficult circumstances as well. The prophets of old? Yes. So, and if you read Hebrews chapter 11, it goes through a lot of examples of people who stood up uh, in faith against incredible odds. And it gives us something to hope for. So that's where we focus our mind. Find a fruitful focus for your mind. Now, let's go back to John Wooden again, because he's the contrast. He's the, and incidentally, John Wooden was a dedicated Christian throughout his entire life. I think that's an important point. In Seeker Rewind, the full edition, we've got some extra uh, material on him, because it really shows you somebody whose life uh, really lived up to the principles that he taught others. Great example. Let's go back to another soundbite from John Wooden and his TED Talk. I had three rules, pretty much, that I stuck with practically all the time. I'd learned these prior to coming to UCLA, and I decided they were very important. One was never be late. Never be late. Um, uh, later on, I had I said certain things that I had. The players, if we're leaving for someone, they had to be neat and clean. And I had one of my uh, one of my greatest players that you probably heard of, Bill Walton. He came and, uh, and gets the bus. We were leaving for somewhere and to play, and he wasn't clean and neat, so I, I would let him go. He couldn't get on the bus. He had to go home and, and, and get cleaned up to get to the airport if he did. So I, I was a stickler for that. I believed in that. I believe in time, very important. So, so Jonathan, he had three rules. The first rule he mentioned in that soundbite, the next two rules we're going to hear in a couple of minutes. But the first rule is what? The first rule is... Um... Never be late. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's it. It's always be on time. And then he throws in this little side thing about being neat and clean. And he mentions Bill Walton, who was the center on his greatest UCLA team ever. And here's the star of the team who shows up for the bus ride to the airport. He's not clean-shaven, and he's looking scruffy. And his coach won't let him get on the bus. Wow. that He's very principle-oriented. Exactly. He won't let him get on the bus, Bill. You go home, you clean up, and then you get to the airport and join us. And, and, you know, it, and it sends a message, and that's such a great example for us to send the message. The, the simplicity of honesty and integrity, it sends a message to those around you, even when everybody else is doing something different. Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255, toll-free 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 and that means we're on right now. While studying the Bible and talking about today's Christian topics, go to ChristianQuestions.com for audio, video, CQ Rewind, and other free resources that no one else has on the planet. All programs are recorded and archived online. Check them out, ChristianQuestions.com. So we're looking at a contrast between Lance Armstrong, a liar and a cheater, who won and won and won and won and won by lying and cheating, and John Wooden, who was a man of great depth and integrity, who won and won and won and won because of his great depth and integrity. Yes. And Mark, Mark Twain has a great quote that, that fits here. If you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. <laughs> I love that. Thing. <laughs> That's great. Um, real short soundbite from Lance Armstrong, Jonathan, because this really, this, this one, uh, this and a few others in the second hour, this one really frosts by cake. Listen to this. Came out of a of a life-threatening disease, I was on my deathbed. Do you think I'm going to come back into a sport and say, okay, okay, doctor, give me everything you got. I just want to go fast. No way. would never do that. 
So he's saying that you think when people are accusing me, saying, you think that I would come back from a life-threatening disease and fill my body with junk? I would never do that. Oops. Yeah, I mean, Jonathan, you see how the depth of the dishonesty, the depth of the lack of integrity is, is staggering. Yes. It's staggering. And based on that, looking at it from the other perspective, let's read verse 2 from Hebrews chapter 12. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So we focus on Jesus as our end result. That is where we're running to. And if you don't have integrity, trust me, you don't want to be running toward Jesus. That's right. <laughs> That's for sure. Let, let, let's go to uh, John Wooden's second and third rules for living. And these are great rules in, in terms of his coaching at UCLA. And another one I had was not one word of profanity. One word of profanity and you, you are out, out of here for the day. And if I see it in a game, you're going to come out and sit on the bench. And the third one was uh, never criticize a teammate. I, I didn't want that. I used to tell him I was paid to do that. That's my job. I'm paid to do it. Pitifully poor, but I am paid to do it. Not like the coaches today, for gracious sakes, no. Uh, they're, they're, it's, it's a little different than it than was in my day. But those are the three things that I uh, stuck with um, pretty closely all the time. And uh, uh, those actually came from my dad. And that's what he tried to uh, teach me and uh, my uh, brothers at one time. So, Jonathan, in that soundbite, you have the second and third rule. So the first rule is never be late. The right. second rule, not one word of profanity. And the third, never criticize a teammate. And he said, these three rules were things that I preached to my players over and over. And he's building a structure of how to be thriving in a, in a, in a bad world. And that is the important thing. And in the second hour, we're really going to get into that. And, folks, if we're not on in your area for the second hour, go to ChristianQuestions.com, click the Listen Live button, and stay with us for the conversation because it's going to get there's, – there's so much more that we have to get into that we just didn't have the time for uh, this hour. Jonathan, let's finish with verse 3 of chapter, Hebrews chapter 12. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So – in this segment, we talked about finding a fruitful focus. Remember, looking at the examples of those who have been great examples of faith and integrity. Yes. And we're using John Wooden as a, as a modern-day example of somebody in the world, not, not in the Christian faith, but in the world who succeeded in the world through integrity and honesty and hard work. The second point is focus on Jesus as our end result. And this third point now is fix the experience of Jesus in your own mind. Look at what he went through. Who, the, the one who endured such hostility of sinners against himself, lest you be weary and faint in your mind. And, and for our friend Timothy in the Middle East, he's feeling that weariness and that faintness, isn't he? Yes, he is. He's feeling overwhelmed by the, the, the dishonesty and the, uh, the, the lack of morality that surrounds him. And he says, and my mind goes toward dark thinking. And what this verse in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3 is saying is meditate on Jesus, because he endured hostility like we have never experienced. That's right. And he was able to overcome that hostility by being focused on the will of God and the will of God only. And don't give up on well-doing. Right, right. Don't give up on, on, on well-doing. So as we look at this whole experience for our friend Timothy out over in the Middle East, who is having such a deep and heartfelt struggle against the, the sin and the dishonesty that surrounds him, uh, this first hour was really focused on uh, our head 
and our heart. And remember, your head plus your heart equals your choice. If you focus your head and you focus your heart, you can therefore make a choice as to how you're going to deal with the things around you. Uh, and so as, as we wrap up this hour and get ready for the second hour, the important things to remember are that we have a lot of ammunition to put together to use in terms of battling against a dark and, and, and dingy world. Yes. Uh, the example of Lance Armstrong is an example of somebody who was incredibly successful, although he cheated to get there. The example of John Wooden is the example of someone who was incredibly successful, never cheated, never needed to cheat to get there because he applied the principles of integrity, the principles of sound thinking, the principles of righteousness, principles of just plain, simple, hard work, living above the fray. Folks, that's what we want to focus on. So for Jonathan and Rick, it's Christian Questions. Our subject, can a Christian thrive in a world that rewards evil? There's so much more to come in the second hour. We'd love to hear your comments on Facebook and all of that. But till then, can a Christian thrive in a bad world? Bet they can. More to come. Think about it. is Christian Questions. Once said, whoever is careless with the truth in small matters cannot be trusted with important matters. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Christian Questions, talk radio with a purpose with Jonathan and Rick. This isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience, and we promise to never talk at you like so many talk shows do today. This is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective. And Jonathan, what is that topic this morning? Well, Rick, our question is, can a Christian thrive in a world that rewards evil? And our theme text is found in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil, for his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. And uh, we've got a lot of things going on this morning. We're doing this program uh, in response to a letter we received from a young man that lives in, out in the Middle East. We were, we'll call him Timothy. Uh, he is a Christian living in a country in the Middle East, not Israel, but a country in the Middle East uh, that does not um, recognize Christianity with uh, any great uh, hope and aspiration, if you will, uh, and a country that is full of corruption and, and darkness uh, in terms of morality. And he's really struggling, Rick. He is, and he wrote us a very long letter asking for help and guidance and inspiration. And so we put this program together as, in a, re- as a response to that. Uh, and in, in dealing with the issue of, of thriving in a world that rewards evil, we've been comparing the story of Lance Armstrong, the cyclist who won seven Tour de France races over a period of seven years, uh, was recognized as essentially the world's greatest athlete for several years, uh, only to see his whole thing, whole empire come crashing down because it's found out that he cheated in all seven of those years. Yes, sad. And, and we've been comparing him with John Wooden, uh, who was the coach of UCLA basketball for several years, many, many years, 
and won 10 NCAA championships in a span of 12 years. And that's a feat uh, that I don't think will ever be equaled. And he did it through integrity and hard work and discipline. Nice. So completely different approaches. And so the answer is yes, you can thrive, but the result may not be exactly the same uh, as, as those who are doing the, the, the darkness and, and the cheating, so to speak. So, Jonathan, as we get back to our friend Timothy over in the Middle East, let's read just another excerpt from his letter to us. Dear Rick and Jonathan, this is what I ask of you. I know everywhere around this world there are people who get screwed by other people just because they're nice and they do not believe in vengeance and give without thinking of taking back. I'm not a saint and I'm not saying I'm one of those. But the more I learn how to deal with issues in Christianity, the more responsibilities I find I have, and the more complicated I feel things are. And he's got a pretty pretty good point there. Uh, it is complicated when you are uh, a Christian in an unchristian world. That's right, Rick. There's a transforming that goes in your mind. You have to change from who you were to becoming Christ-like. Right, and that transformation is not natural. No, it's not. Because it goes against a lot of the self-preservation ideas that we would normally have in our lives. You're right. So uh, I want to go back to another soundbite relating to uh, Lance Armstrong. This, though, is an interview that a former teammate of his uh, gave several years before Armstrong admitted that he had cheated. Uh, this teammate's name is Tyler Hamilton, and Mr. Hamilton came out with all of the truth of the matter years before Armstrong uh, and basically said, yeah, he cheated, I cheated, we all cheated, and, you know, what else, what else am I going to say? I have to tell you the truth. And so here he's talking about avoiding detection during that time when they were cheating so rampantly. Listen to this. This is, this is, this is startling. How did you all avoid detection? Um, you know, a lot of different ways. One way was, you know, the, the team doctors would tell you, you know, what and how much of a certain product you could take and, and how many days the testers could still detect it for, which, you know, I, I called in the book, uh, like, the glow time, you know, how long you were glowing. So, um, so with each product, you had a different glow time, and depending on how much you took. And, you know, that you had very sophisticated... Uh, teams with sophisticated doctors, and you know, if you followed their rules, you would uh, you would pass the controls. You know, I passed several hundred controls over my career. How sad, Rick? It's amazing. Uh, you know, he so he passed several hundred drug tests because they found a way to manipulate the system. Talk about complicated. Talk about high tech. That's what they were doing to manipulate the things that were around them so they could win without really winning the right way. So it just gives you a real sense of the, 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 the depth of degradation um, that, that was happening here. Now, in, in contrast to that, Jonathan, let's, okay, well, what do we do? Well, remember the two times that Jesus fed the multitudes? Yes. Did he survey the crowd and dismiss those who were not worthy to be fed by a miracle? No. no. Or did he bless all of those who were in his life at that moment? I mean, did he go through a crowd and say, you people over there to the left, no, you know what? You guys are really not good enough to eat this food. <laughs> no. He didn't do that. No. So we, too, have daily opportunities to feed the multitudes, if you will, around us with a witness to the love of God through Christ. And for this segment, that's going to be our, our focus. How do we feed the crowd around us? 
with goodness and integrity. Let's look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 to 12. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So he's saying, again, blessed are you when people insult and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil. He's saying, look, that's what happens. But feed the crowd. Feed the crowd by truly rejoicing in all of these things, because that's what Jesus did. Yes. And I think that's the key lesson here. It gets more complicated, and then what happens is Jesus makes it really simple. And he says, righteousness always prevails in your mind, and therefore righteousness always prevails in your life. So let that be, regardless of the circumstance and regardless of the outcome. It's a hard step to take, but it's an important step to take. It is, Rick. really is. Jonathan, let's go to the phone. All right. Well, we have Julius from Connecticut. Good morning, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions. Gentlemen, good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Incidentally, you owe me. I missed you last week. <laughs> <laughs> I, tried, I tried to get through. It was very active last week. Yeah. Great. Uh, what a timely topic. I really appreciate it. Uh, two heroes uh, besides you, you guys, uh, right now, add to the hero list. John Wooden and uh, Timothy. Uh, I tell you, that uh, fellow, uh, he, I think there's a book out by, by him. I'm sh- pretty sure there is. And uh, some wonderful values he has, just incredible. Appreciate it. Uh, yeah, can you imagine uh, Malachi chapter 3, verse 13? God is saying, you know, the wicked prosper right now. But you know what God is doing in Malachi 3.13? He's quoting the Israelites. They were complaining to God. Yeah, we serve you. What, what good is it to serve you? Because we see those around us are more prosperous than us. But uh, believe me, the godly will prosper. Uh, Proverbs fifteen three, I think it is. The eyes of the Lord, Jehovah, are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. God is always aware of what's going on. And, of course, I, I, I think I've heard this from your program, too, this beautiful scripture, as I leave you. I think it's Galatians 6, 7. Uh, be not deceived. God cannot be mocked. But whatsoever we sow, we will reap. Thank you. God bless. Thank you, Julius. Appreciate your call. Okay, bye-bye. And, and some good thoughts, because God sees the evil. And so even if you live in a country like Timothy does, where uh, things are so much more corrupt than they are even here, and that makes it that much harder. We can take heart in the fact that God sees and understands it, and also take heart in the fact that the principles that Jesus gave us don't, don't change because you live in a different country. That's right. So it's always the same. Julius, thanks so much for the scriptures and the thoughts. God does behold the evil and the good, and God will repay in his time, in his way. I mean, that's the important thing. Um, Okay, let, let's go to a, another uh, a quick soundbite here. This is not John Wooden. This is another coach uh, that was very well-known in professional sports uh, for his ability to get his teams to win. He coached for 10 years in the NFL, and his teams won five championships in those 10 years. Let's listen to this. This is very short. I might just clear up one thing. The reason you didn't get it, Paul... Um, no, that, when I decided to come back. One before that. That's the, that's the next one. 
Beneath his stormy surface flowed the warm tide of compassion and kindness. I know I'm an emotional man. In order for me, for example, to give everything of myself, uh, to take the mental anguish that's all part of this game, the emotionalism that's all part of this game, in order for me to do this for someone else, I think there has to be a certain amount of love for that other person. There's love for each other, in other words, in the game of football. And Jonathan, that seems like such a contrary statement. There's love for one another in the game of football. <laughs> it does. But Vince Lombardi loved his players. Yes, he did. And because of that, as his basis, he loved them, he demanded excellence from them, and they, and they produced for him because they knew that he had this deep caring about them. And, that, and that's, a, that's a great example of how to be an example in the world around us. That's right. That's right. We're even to love our enemies, aren't we? Right, right. And uh, actually, Jonathan, let's skip down to Matthew five thirteen, uh, folks. If you have a thought, it's eight six six nine eight five four two five five. Toll free eight six six nine eight five four. All we are live Sunday mornings from seven to nine, and that means we're on right now. And our website christianquestions.com. dot com. And don't forget to check out Seek Your Rewind. Sign up for the full edition. It's a free service. It's available at christianquestions.com. dot com. It's real simple to sign up for, and you get. Each week, all of the material we talk about, plus much, much more, in a PDF attachment. It's a great service. Again, the folks that work on it do a tremendous job. Oh, it's awesome. And again, freely we have received and freely we give. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become saltless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. So in Matthew 5.13, Jesus is basically saying, telling us to feed the crowd. Remember the example of Jesus feeding the multitude? Yes. Feed the crowd by maintaining your value as the preserving element, that's what salt is, in the midst of sinful decay. Feed the crowd, how? By being different. That's what Jesus did. He stepped out of the norm. He fed the crowd by being who he was supposed to be and being the son of his father, and being the example of, of perfect humanity. Let's look at Matthew five fourteen to 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So here, again in Matthew 5, Jesus is saying to us, feed the crowd by allowing your light, the light that's within you, to shine freely. It's important that your light shine in a way that it will encourage the world. Now, you know, light, Jonathan, can be so bright it blinds you. True. It can, we want the light to beckon people to come to us, not to be frightened by it. That's what Jesus did, and that's a very distinct responsibility that our friend Timothy over there in the Middle East has, as well as we, to make sure that the light that shines out of us is, is shining in such a way that people see it and say, there's something good there. Even yeah. if they don't respond right away, they see something different by way of something higher and say, uh, you know, it may contradict what I'm doing, but I notice it. Yes, yes. And, and that, that's a very, very, very hard thing. We don't have time for First uh, Peter 2, 11 and 12. Uh, but really, the, the point of those scriptures is to feed the crowd by behaving in such a way that they see the unmistakable difference between you and the rest of the crowd. 
That's what Jesus did. It's the difference between a Lance Armstrong and a John Wooden, a Lance Armstrong and a Vince Lombardi. It's the difference between living according to integrity and... And honesty. And honesty. Yeah. So that is what we want to focus on. Feed the crowd by who you are, Christ. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject, Can a Christian Thrive in a World that Rewards Evil? Coming up, how hard is it for a nice person to survive in a world where evil is the norm and nice is stupid? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Can a Christian Thrive in a World that Rewards Evil? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And we are focusing on this subject because of uh, a letter that we got from a young man in the Middle East. His name, we'll call him Timothy, and uh, he is greatly struggling, Jonathan, greatly struggling in a country that does not recognize Christianity in a very nice way. No. Uh, He's greatly struggling with living according to Christian principles in that environment. Yes. And uh, let's, as a matter of fact, let's read the, the next little excerpt from his letter, because that gives you a sense of the kind of struggle, and it is a deep, heartfelt struggle that he's experiencing. I find it all too hard to handle. I could really use some help. I was the happiest person I knew when I was younger, and as soon as I stepped into adulthood, it was time to face the world. I found myself getting depressed day in and day out. What I'm asking for, I guess is for more inspiration. How should I think? I hate myself now because I look at people around me and all I could think of is how bad they treat me and others. I don't want that, but I really can't help it anymore. I am full of hatred and I hate myself for it more. I don't want someone to lend me money to pay off my debts and then pay them back. I don't want to make a big deal out of this. I just want to show, if possible, where you guys could talk about how hard it is for a nice person to survive in a world where evil is normal and nice is stupid. And I love that phrase, evil is normal and nice is stupid. (laughs) Uh, But it it just gives you a sense of the depth of his struggle. And how many times do we, Jonathan, go through that self-contradiction because we're trying to live up to this higher standard and yet we're still imperfect human beings. That's right, that's tough. And, and we end up, we hate ourselves because we, we get frustrated and we're not doing the things that we're supposed to and not living the way we're supposed to, and, but we know we're supposed to, and you want people, you want to get revenge, but you know you're not supposed to, and so you, you have this, and so you end up beating yourself up. Right, yeah. And that is not, that's not productive. It's, it's not going to help you if that's what's happening. Because you know what? Here's the bottom line for Timothy, uh, our, our friend in the Middle East, and for everyone else. Evil is normal. It is, after all, Satan's world. That's right. He's the prince of this world. Right. That being said, we have to arm ourselves against the prince of this world. Second Corinthians 10, uh, 3-5 is a good scripture that helps us to, to, to realize that. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. 
We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. See, that last line in that scripture, Jonathan, is one of the most important things. We are taking every thought captive, which means sometimes thoughts don't want to be taken. That's right. But we have to assert the Christian authority in our own heart and our mind. Remember, our heart plus our mind equals our choice. It's a struggle. It's a warfare. Right. But we have to take our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ and not let them go around that circular thinking of being so frustrated and mad at ourselves. Right. Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255, toll-free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And if you have any questions on our subject, give us a call or ask your questions at ChristianQuestions.com or go to our Facebook or email us at Rick at ChristianQuestions.net. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you, and obviously, folks, when we hear from you, it, it does mean a lot to us. And it does. Uh, the, the, the reason for this particular program is because of a, of a listener uh, who is, is greatly, greatly struggling. Evil is normal, Jonathan, because it has a powerful voice. Mm-hmm. And I want to explain this next soundbite. I want to put it in context because it won't make sense. Lance Armstrong is doing that. This is before he admits any of the, the wrongdoing, but this is after he's been accused. And he's doing a press conference, and one of the reporters is asking him a question. The reporter says to him, I'm the guy you wouldn't give an interview to. And he's saying, well, here, I'm going to tell you why I didn't give you an interview. So I want you to listen to the attitude with which Mr. Armstrong approaches this particular reporter, the condescendence in his attitude, knowing all along that he is lying, he is cheating, he has been. Uh, and so, so, so listen to how he... He approaches this with lies and deception. I might just clear up one thing. The reason you didn't get it, Paul, when I decided to come back for what I think is a very noble reason, you said, folks, the cancer has been in remission for four years, but our cancer has now returned, meaning me. I am here to fight this disease. I am here so that I don't have to deal with it, You don't have to deal with it. None of us have to deal with it. My children don't have to deal with it. But yet you said that I am the cancer, and the cancer is out of remission. So I think it goes without saying, no, we're not going to sit down and do an interview. So you have Mr. Armstrong saying, look, you called me the cancer Mm -hmm. uh, to the sport of cycling. And interestingly, when you look back upon it, who was right? (laughs) The reporter. Yeah. Uh, but during it, before Armstrong admits any guilt, he was guilty as sin at that moment in time. He's saying, no, I'm not going to give you the time of day because you accused me of being a cancer. And here I've come back to cycling to, to uh, fight against this disease, which is a noble cause. And he's right about that. It is a noble cause to fight against cancer. And, sure. and the, the Live Strong Foundation that he set up was a noble cause. There's no question about that. So he took that great nobility and fed it through lying and cheating and deceiving. Not the way to go. No. It, it just completely undermines what nobility stands for. Exactly. Yeah, and, and, and that reminds us uh, of another very self-righteous group uh, in the Scriptures. And Jesus talked about this self-righteous group by telling a parable in Luke 18, 9-14. And he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up unto the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. 
The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. Okay, so you have you have this, the, the Pharisee in the story, very self-righteous, very Lance Armstrong-ish, if you will, talking about how great I am. And I like the way Jesus says it in the parable. He was praying this to himself. <laughs> yeah, interesting. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, just, just saying, I'm so glad I'm not like the rest of them, because I'm above. And then you have the other side of the story that Jesus continues with. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And so you have the other side of the issue, the sinner, who comes and says, just God be merciful to me because I'm a sinner. And to our friend Timothy, I would say this, Jonathan. I would say, Timothy, realize that you are in the position, just like myself and Jonathan and so many others of us, of that sinner, coming before God, saying, just be merciful to me because I keep falling down. Yes. Jesus in the parable says, this is the man who went home justified, not the other. So when we realize the self-contradiction that we have inside of ourselves, and we bring that before God in prayer, that is what helps us to be cleansed of all of the difficulty. And we receive forgiveness. We do. Now, it doesn't mean that our, our sinful nature goes away. It simply means that we begin to cope with it in a spiritual manner. Good. So we have to be armed with humility. Mm-hmm. Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255, toll-free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And again, please don't forget to check out Seek Your Rewind. Sign up for the full edition. It's a free service. It's going to give you all of the scriptures, much of the commentary, in a very reader-friendly format that you can use uh, to, to help enhance taking the thoughts and making them practical in your everyday life. So, Jonathan, we just heard Mr. Armstrong being so condescending uh, to, to this particular reporter. Yes. I want to go back again. Before we go back to John Wooden, I want to go back one more time to Vince Lombardi. Uh, because in this in this NFL tribute film to Vince Lombardi, it talks about old-fashioned virtues. And those are some of the things that we really do seem to be overlooking, not only in the world of sports, but in our world in general. Lombardi believed in the old-fashioned virtues, which were stamped all over his teams. Hard work, second effort, loyalty, and love. His genius was that he was able to inspire so many of his players to grasp these ideals. Lombardi's influence extended not only to his own team, but during his short career as head coach, many hundreds of thousands of other young athletes warmed their own competitive spirits by the bright fire of this man who stood for everything that was solid and successful in American sports. So you have a great example there of those old-fashioned virtues. And what are they? Hard work, second effort, loyalty, and love. And 
and when you build something based on those those virtues, and those virtues apply to every single aspect of life. You're right. And so, again, we look at the world of sports as a way to just sort of identify things in, in a very small world, the world of sports, and say, okay, let's take that identification now and apply it to our general living circumstances. Hard work, second effort, loyalty, and love. Whether you live in the Middle East and a country that does not recognize Christianity with great uh, fondness, if you will, or you live in this country where at least you might have a fighting chance, those things always still apply. And if we apply them through the eyes of Christianity, we have a much, much better chance at succeeding in a Christian way, not necessarily in a worldly way, but in a Christian way. Well, Rick, uh, we do have some callers. Do you want to take those now, or, or what would you like to do? Um, yeah, okay, yeah, let's, go, let's go to the phone. Let's take one, and then we'll go back to another sound. All right, we have Randall from Connecticut. Good morning, Randall, and welcome to Christian Questions. Good morning. Happy Sunday, guys. Thank you. We have Matthew 6.4. And your Father who sees in secret will repay you. Timothy, just as God has called you, he will give you the means, the ability, and the opportunity to answer. It has been said, you may not be able to do great things, but you can do small things with great love. Matthew 6.6, 6, but when you pray, go to your inner room, close the door, and pray to your Father in secret. You may not change your society or your government, but your daily secret struggle can be the source of holiness. The very difficulty of your task is your task. Endure your frustrations with humility for him and he will raise you to him. John twelve thirty two, And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. Randall, thanks so much. We appreciate it. God bless you guys. Take care. You know, and, and that's the thing, Jonathan. God does see the efforts that we make. He sees it. He appreciates it. And through Christ, we can, we can really, truly overcome. Uh, I want to just quickly get to this next soundbite. It's a very short... Uh, this is Armstrong again in that in that press conference after he started to uh, ridicule that that reporter. Here's how he finishes with the reporter. Listen to this. As a society, are we supposed to forgive and forget and let people get back to their job? Absolutely. Um, I'm not sure I will ever forgive you for that statement, and I'm not sure that anybody around the world that has been affected by this disease will forgive you. Wow, that's bold. That, that's 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 horrible when you think about it. Here he was cheating, and he says, you know, yes, we're supposed to forgive and forget, but for you, no, there is no forgiveness. I'm not forgiving you, nor should the world forgive you, because you did such a horrible thing. How sad. And, you know, oftentimes by our own, uh, our own words are we judged. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you can imagine what the, that attitude being turned back upon Lance Armstrong when he has to, is being forced to look in the mirror uh, in judgment before God. Good point. And how difficult that might be. Uh, Jonathan, we do have another call? Yes, we do. Let's do that. All right, we have Keith from Tennessee. Good morning, Keith, and Keith, and welcome to Christian Questions. Oh, good morning, and let me say before I get into this, that uh, the statistical probability God exists exceeds 10 to the 800th power if one aggregates all the various types of evidence of his existence. I won't get into that today. And I'm not going to ask you a question concerning... Um, guns and so on, uh, your screener doesn't want me to get into that, but with respect to Deuteronomy 28, I talked about the three major court decisions in 1799, uh, 1892, and 1931, that America's a Christian nation, following each of which there was a explosion of power and territory of America. Um, and uh, I never mentioned, though, you, you know, I worked for three agencies of 
Treasury, the Treasury Department, which is located next to the White House. I used to know some insiders, one of whom told me something that's sort of confidential I never mentioned, and that is that uh, as late as the Clinton administration, God intervened to prevent America from being attacked, and uh, we were one day away from a surprise nuclear attack by two major world powers, I won't mention them. But a lightning bolt hit one of their nuclear subs a day before the attack, so they got the message. But that was before our president declared renewal of a Christian nation. But anyway, I used to be on a team when I was young, a tennis team in college, mm-hmm. and um, I was a Rudy, you know, a bench warmer. I mean, I was no uh, super athlete, but uh, the coach had coached it when it was the number one team in America. But uh, have you ever seen the movies Rudy, uh, Chariots of Fire, Sergeant York, uh, which is a Gary uh, Cooper movie about the most decorated um, soldier in World War One, who was a Tennessean, who was a pacifist. Uh, he, um, you know, was persuaded to fight. And also uh, a four-star movie, Friendly Persuasion, about a Quaker in the Civil War, I mean, I had a question. Keith, I need you to wrap this up because we're a little bit over time here. I'm going to give you about 10 seconds. Give, give us the, the final core thought because we've got to move on. Here. Okay, well, anyway, I won't ask you the question I was going to ask, but I've been, you, you were talking about being at peace with all men. You quoted that scripture. That's been much on my mind lately, and, and also the scripture that God always provides a way of escape, um, uh, you know, for any temptation. I, I believe with respect to um, the uh, war which may be coming, which I believe is coming. Okay, Keith, thanks so much. I've got to rush you because we're over time for this segment. Take care. Um, uh, Jonathan, I'll give you some comments on, on uh, Keith's comment uh, in, the, in the next segment. Folks, we're talking about fighting the good fight, and Keith is right, that, that we need to focus ourselves on being right with God first. This is Christian Questions. Our subject, can a Christian thrive in a world that rewards evil? Coming up, how do we reestablish the peace of God in our hearts when we go off course? Is Satan behind it? Discouragement is his tool. That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject, Can a Christian Thrive in a World that Rewards Evil? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now on our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And Jonathan, as we begin to wrap up this program, uh, this final segment is really going to focus on one of the core questions that our friend Timothy, our friend from the Middle East who wrote us this long letter, um, had. He had a very specific issue, and why don't you just read another excerpt from his letter, and that'll put things in perspective. I want to know how to face my problems that seem far from being solved any time in the near future. I want to know how I can show support to nice people who get screwed. My friends, my brothers in Christianity, my messengers of God, Cutting a very long story short, I no longer have peace inside. I cannot pray with so much bottled up in me, and I need guidance. Forgive me when I say this, but I cannot find a single priest in my country who I can go to with my problems. I'm confused and lost, and I need guidance. Help me restore my inner peace, I beg you. 
again and again, I am so sorry for such a very long message. So he's looking for the restoration of his inner peace. Yes. And to find the peace of God, Timothy, uh, you have to expect life is going to continually chase it from you. That's the way life works. And that is something that's so so important. Uh, just, Jonathan, in this first scripture, First Peter, just chapter 4, just read verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for a testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. So I, I would say the first thing, Timothy, understand that, look, this is not a surprise. If you're going to walk in the footsteps of Christ, you're going to suffer through fiery ordeals. Yes. And acknowledging the fact that you realize that's normal for a servant of Christ, for a footstep follower of Christ, is the first step to regaining the peace in, uh, that, that you once had. And Rick, there's a scripture I was uh, thinking of last night in Matthew six thirty-one through 34. talks about the cure for anxiety, and that might be helpful in CQ Rewind. Yeah, as a matter of fact, that's one of my very favorite scriptures in all of the Bible. <laughs> all right. you. So. Oh, everybody better read it. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll put that in CQ Rewind, the full edition. But so the first thing is realize that, that life is going to chase your peace from you. It's a fiery ordeal because that's what Christ-likeness is all about. Um, and, and we have to realize that we, get it, we struggle with ourselves. I want to go to this next soundbite from Tyler Hamilton. He was, again, uh, Lance Armstrong's teammate during some of the cheating. And just listen to how he, he gives a sense of the reality of what was going on and his understanding of it. This is very revealing. Are there records that back up what you say? Is it simply your word against his, or is it bigger than that? Uh, it's, it's much bigger than that, and I understand the denial, you know, because I, de- I denied it for, what, six, seven years. Um, it's kind of your first reaction, and, um, you know, it's, it's, diff- it's difficult to tell the truth, but I can tell you that it feels good. You know, I, I kept the secret for way too long. You know, I lied to my parents, to my brother, my sister, my friends, co-workers, and um, you know, enough was enough. It took its toll. It was very difficult to hold in. And, you know, I was prepared to take it to the grave. But uh, fortunately, I was, uh, I was pulled in to, to testify in a federal case. And, and that was my, uh, you know, that was lucky for me. It's, and it sounds kind of funny to say. So here you have a man who was involved in the cheating, and he was involved in the cover-up. That's right, the lying. Right. But what happened is he was pulled in to testify in a federal case. If you perjure yourself, you can go to prison. And at that moment, he realized that he could not carry the lie any further. It was a relief to him after he told the truth. Right. He says it feels so good. And and there's a principle there, Jonathan, that we can um, take hold of in in trying to reestablish hope if we've lost it. And that principle is... You don't, you, don't, you don't keep things bottled up from God, but you pour them out before God. Yes. And He will accept and strengthen you as a result of that. It feels so good to tell God the truth of the struggle and the pain that we experience. And Jesus is your best friend, so share with Him. Right. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, first of all, to find peace. The first point, and I didn't mention it before, expect life to continually chase peace from you. The second point in finding peace in our lives, again, when we've lost it, is claim the blessing of your trial, namely that it's a proving ground of the grace of God within you. Okay, so you've got to claim the blessing of the trial. And here, after that 
soundbite. The third point for us as Christians would be pray with thanksgiving, even if you don't feel thankful. See, God knows and wants you to pray anyway. So even if you don't feel thankful, you still pray with thanksgiving. Even if the words are feeling empty, because you're focusing your mind on the right thing. And, Jonathan, a great scripture on that is Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, and we'll read just uh, 4, 4 through 7 right now. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So this is an ideal scripture when you're asking the question, how do I restore lost hope? This scripture says, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what's the result of that? The peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. It'll take away that anxiety. And now, look, it's not going to miraculously lift the anxiety. We have to fight to gain the peace. Mm-hmm. We have to continually refocus our minds to regain the peace. We have to have our head and our heart set in the right direction. One last soundbite, uh, we're almost out of time, uh, from John Wooden, and this is profound. Uh, he's going to talk about three more things that his father gave him to live by, and then a focus that he had with his teams. This is, this is really, really important. Reminds me of another set of threes that my dad tried to get across to us. Don't whine, don't complain, don't make excuses. You get out there and whatever you're doing, do it to the best of your ability. And no one can do more than that. Um, I tried to get across to, my punish don't tell you, never heard me mention winning. Never mention winning. My idea is that you can lose when you outscore somebody in a game, and you can win when you're outscored. I've felt that way on certain occasions at various times. And I, w- I just wanted to be able to be able to hold their head up after a game. I used to say that when, when a game is over and you see somebody that didn't know the outcome, I hope they couldn't tell by your actions uh, whether you outscored an opponent or the op- opponent outscored you. And so, Jonathan, there's several things in that. I know we're almost out of time here. But the three points, the three initial points were what? Don't whine, don't complain, and don't make excuses. Okay, so those are rules to live by. But then as a coach, John Wooden never talked to his teams about winning. And that's, that's, that's unheard of. That is. But he said, look, winning is the effort that you put in. If you put in your best effort, you have won. Now, maybe the, the, you didn't outscore the other team, but you still have won, and that's all I'm asking from you. And so there's something special here in that philosophy and Christianity, and that is, for us to win, it's putting in our best Christian effort, taking our best Christian step forward, one step after another step after another step. And whether we end up winning or losing according to the standards of the world, God sees the winner. And that's what our Christianity is all about, and we can find great hope in that fact. We're judged on our intention, aren't we? Exactly, because we can't do things that are worthy of God anyway. Yeah, we're imperfect. Right, right. We, we are born to fall short. <laughs> and that sounds like, oh man, that's depressing. Are we talking about you in, in height and stature? <laughs> <laughs> we are born to fall short because we're born in sin. But the hope that we have says 
that through the sacrifice of Jesus, that sin can be erased in the eyes of God. Even though it exists, it can be erased in the eyes of God if our efforts are to step forward, and that gives us great hope. So our last focus, our last point in this segment, Jonathan, before we close, is focus on focusing your focus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the peace of God will be with you. So again, another scripture that uh, the, the, the further texts of Philippians chapter 4 again mentions the peace of God. But it mentions it in the context of focusing your focus on your focus. Yes. What, what are you supposed to think about? Timothy, we're talking to you now. We're talking to you out there in the Middle East where you're essentially, in a lot of ways, alone in your Christianity, fighting against a, a tidal wave of darkness. And you say, well, I can't overcome the tidal wave. You're right, you can't. But if you focus yourself on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and of good repute, if there's anything excellent, uh, any excellence and anything worthy of praise, dwell on those things. In so doing, you can again find hope. Remember, Jesus won by being persecuted and by being crucified. He won. Understand that that's how he won the battle. That's how he won the war against sin. He had to suffer and he had to die. That's where our hope is. And that's what our focus ought to be as we look at Jesus, the author and finisher uh, of our faith. Jonathan, we have a short verse here from Mother Teresa, which I think really can kind of wrap this up. People are often unreasonable and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of alter- ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are honest, people may cheat you. Be honest anyway. If you find happiness, people may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today may be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the world the best you have, and it may never be enough. Give your best anyway. For you see in the end, it is between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. And Jonathan, I think that really does wrap up the the thoughts of our program this morning. Folks, we hope you've enjoyed being with us. This is an important program because it helps us to focus on what things we need to be looking at rather than all of the stuff around us. Christian success in this world is different than worldly success. And success by truly living up to the standards of Christ-likeness and righteousness and integrity. Whatever happens after that, happens after that. Our success for God and that, my friends. Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions will be back again next week with another subject. But till then, can a Christian thrive in a world that rewards evil? Yes. Understand what thrive means. Until next week, think about it. Oh, 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 oh,